Hey, J. Crew, it's 5778, which means Liel's promise not to swear for the rest of the year has expired. So cover your ears. This has been your obscenity warning. And we can take these in any order you like, Mrs. Butnick Cohen. Um, you're going to let me get away with that, Butnick Cohen? Mrs. Butnick Cohen. Does that... Okay. Okay. I was going to say, Mrs. Butnick Cohen is my mother and my mother-in-law. <laughs> is that how that joke works? Yes. Hello, J. Crew. This is Unorthodox, the world's leading Jewish podcast, and we're together again. Dayenu. De- together again. <laughs> together Deputy forever. Oh, you went Rick Astley. At, it's 8.35 in the morning at Argo Studios. And I went Muppets. Well, I'm 30 now, so That's I can go Rick Astley. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie Butnick, back from her honeymoon. Welcome. Thank you. And Thank you. Leah Leibowitz. We are sort of like the Muppets of podcasting, aren't Who we? Who am I? Sort of, well, I mean, I think that's obvious. I'm Kermit. Of course. I'm Kermit, yeah. yeah. Okay, fine. I'm probably the, the dude who throw, throws the fish. The, is that chef? <laughs> Could I be the Swedish? No, sp- no I want to be the Swedish chef. Yeah. I, used to, I used to do a good a good Swedish chef. A good Boygen Oygen. Anyway, our Jew of the week is innovative super rabbi Shai Held. He's so good talking about Torah that we're excited to talk to him about Torah at nine in the morning. <laughs> I'm so excited. After Yom Kippur, after having been so Jewed out for the past couple of weeks, we want to talk more Torah because it's Shai Held. After Yom Kippur, a day in which you fast for 25 hours and then eat seven days worth of food in six and a half <laughs> minutes. I decided that was because, a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of catching up to do. It's so good to be together again. I know it's really nice. It's like we're back in our the sacred triangle I feel around the table. Like we're missing 250 of my closest family and friends. <laughs> if only there was a way to have them here in the studio every By week. By the way, my favorite thing. So I listened to the the episode where you guys recapped the wedding. While I was, I think it was like when we were starting the road to Hana in Hawaii. It was like one of <laughs> the tri- first trials of our marriage. Well, you assholes um, were stuck in midtown traffic. And yeah. I was like, oh, you guys are saying, oh, you know, this family's so nice. These two families really like each other. There's no drama. Let's get everyone really drunk and then put a microphone in front of their faces and just like, see, like that was your instinct. This is such a loving gathering. Let's just see what people will say we when can, they're drunk. We can mess with this. We were really pushing. We were, we were hoping for the worst. Let me tell you. Yeah. Never was, happened. Mark, what a night. I think we need to talk about your dancing. No one has no one had more fun at that wedding than you did. I every few years it comes out and it's I love to dance. I have a, I have a, I have a sense that this is not the first time that you've heard the sentence. I think we need oh, to talk about your dancing. <laughs> I think my favorite part, not my favorite part, obviously there were other things, but there was a point where you and I were just like dancing. It was like an acro, like it was just like energetic. It was aerobic. It was painful. It was ecstatic dance. Yeah, as it was. They say. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's just only so many times you can be sandwiched between Ben Cohen. Mr. Stephanie Button, yeah. that is, uh, super baker, Molly Yeh, and New York Times op-ed editor, Barry Weiss. I mean, it's just there's the, amount of, the amount of media power in that dance clutch. <laughs> okay, but you know what? That's ancient history. It's not that I don't want to talk about your wedding. No, it seems like you don't. It seems like you, you're over it. It's see, yeah, well, I'm I, over it. I, mean, I feel I'm, like you're over it. Is that the it. point where we start like, pressuring her into having kids? Nope, not yet. I'm, I'm not into that. Okay. Giving her another month or two. Thank you. That's so sweet. I had a good conversation with Ben's dad about when kids were coming, actually, (laughs) at the wedding. Jesus. Yep. Uh, Wait, was it his dad or your dad? I don't know. I had a lot to drink. It was one of the dads who said, I I think three years. 
I bet he, that was that's a Jesse Cohen. A that's not tuxedo, Howie. It was not Howie Butnick. I, I would have said no problem. Yeah. Whatever, 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 whatever. whatever. He's, a, he's a chiller. He is pretty chill. He, in some ways, he's. I mean, my own dad is a dad model for me. He was pretty chill. Like there was no pressure about when to get married, when to go to college, when to have kids. Yeah, chill is not a word that people traditionally use to describe my father. <laughs> no. the, the criminal justice system in Israel never used that word. <laughs> in the criminal justice system. Dun, dun. The thing about your dad is he didn't just rob a bank and be like, wow, that was a high. He's like, I'm, he was going to be the best dad. Yeah, he's like, that's right. Well, you guys don't do, you, you do extremes. We don't do anything half-assed. That's yeah. right. Yeah. If How, we run, I we really run res- marathons. Yeah, I respect if we that. rob, we rob 21. <laughs> it's no other way. Okay, but now it's a new year. That, the wedding was so 57, 77. God. Let's talk about Yom Kippur. Um, I'm sorry, Mark. I'm sorry, Stephanie. You missed yeah. the you missed the, you missed the apology episode. That's that's we've done that's that already. That's what I'm apologizing for. <laughs> I just want to hear I want to hear how how were people's YKs this year? How was YK 17? So I did my first Kol Nidre in Manhattan at a synagogue, um as opposed to going out to one of the one of the various tri-state areas that, you know, for me a holiday isn't complete without like hitting up at least two of. And so our wedding was officiated by Shira Ginsburg, who's the cantor at East End. And she was amazing. And she actually sent us an email sort of saying like, you know, if you guys are around, and I was like, I would love to go to your service. She's like, if I do your wedding, you get a 15% discount on the Colnidre tickets. (laughs) I was thinking about how Amachai said, like the year after he does those weddings, he you get a free membership. So I thought it was a really nice outreach. So we went to um, Colnidre there. And she, I mean, it was amazing. She She was incredible. It It was at Hebrew Union College. It was a reformed temple, but it felt very familiar to me, the service as a someone raised in a conservative environment. Um, and there was music. It was beautiful. And I was just sort of like, cool. Cool. This is awesome. So I, I was really happy about that. East End Synagogue people, they've roped in the Butnik Cohens. They got us. They, they got you. I hear they give a discount on brisses too. Should that ever be a... You know, should, should that ever arise? Should that ever be a thing, you know? Um, so no, no pressure. At Shul, I, I went up to one of our listeners, yep. Kalila, uh, who, who wrote us a note to complain that my portrayal of my beloved community, Romamu, uh, made it sound like it was too hippy dippy. Uh, I apologized in person, just under the radar, as as the gates of heaven were closing. I have to tell you that the Naila this year was was out of control. People were you know weeping and hugging really? and wow. singing, and it it really kind of brought down the house. It was like the most intense religious so, ser- service I've ever been in. For those who don't know, so Naila is the closing service. It it's is, the, and everyone's been fasting. You're, and then the, there's a closing service where you're pretty much standing the whole time or much of the time. And then the very end of it, you do a Havdalah and then the shofar blows again one last time. And at my show, it can be very, very intense. The kids all go up, they turn out all the lights, then they light the Havdalah candle. They do the Debbie Friedman. They didn't do her melody this year, which is upsetting to me because I love her Havdalah melody. They didn't sing it. They just, you know, said it. The good old Debbie does Havdalah. But what's great is it's like the funnest that the the children, you can see them like their eyes have lit up with, they're on fire with tradition. Like, you know, we've, they understand the gates of heaven are closing. Either that or they understand they're about to go home after <laughs> six <laughs> hours. Like the candle, I mean, it's a beautiful thing to see and to witness and for young people, I imagine, for young kids. It's, it's like, it's big. Rabbi David Ingberg, God bless you, man. Yeah. So now that said, I want, I want to, I want some candor because we're, we're nothing if not. Cantor? Can- candid. And, um, so I'm rarely in the adult service at my synagogue. I, I, the past two years, Steve Worland and I have shout out Steve have 
uh, coordinated the children's um, services. I like that you guys do that. Yeah, the men. That made, that's that's nice. Someone made that point to us last year. They said it's really says nice things about our shul that the children's services for high holidays are run by two dads. But no, Steve and I recruited. Of course, like three, you know, three quarters of the kids in shul are, are yours. Mine. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so I was seldom in the actual main adult service this year. But you know, when I do go in, I mean, it reminds me that I'm not a ritual Jew. I'm a communal Jew. Like it's not you, you Liel. You get high on ritual. Oh my you, god! You get I, high I on wore, tefillah. I wore a freaking kittel. Like I was decked. You in had like a you were in a white, white robe, ninjutsu, <laughs> like martial arts robe, yeah, yeah. which I changed to in the restroom of the Italian restaurant where we went for the big, like pre-fast meal. Uh-huh. And like I went in a normal person. Everyone's like, whatever. It's just you came a, out a superhero. It's just a dude, and I came right, and I came out like. <laughs> Oh, Wait, so this is not Clark Kent anymore. It wasn't a this Jewish is, restaurant. This is <laughs> Super Jew. No, it was Francis Ford Coppola's Italian restaurant on the Upper West Side. <laughs> you, walked, around. you walked out of it in your kittle. Yeah, and people but are like, oh. I feel like we need to talk about sermons. Like, I'm not, I say this as someone who did not go hear any sermons this Yom Kippur. Mm-hmm. Um, ben live streamed a few other services that day, and I sort of- You did not? There's no sermon at Kent there was no, no, There was no Kol Nidra sermon, which huh. I thought- I. Yeah, wasn't really you know I I've sort of hopped around. I like the years. that. I, they feel like the ritual carries the the event. They don't need you know the rabbi's not going to improve on Colney Dre. Yeah, there was like the temple president talking about like reform movement. We welcome all of you. Like Still. there was that, which I, even that I was. I mean, I, I feel just, like I've heard I, that sermon. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> reform movement. We're welcoming. I feel like I, I I want more. I don't know. I want something more than just like this is this thing that's going on, or like or sort of like vague political talk. Like I don't know. I want something. I want I want someone to like go full in on something. Do you guys feel that the sermon is not a Jewish art form? That I mean, rabbis seem not to know what to do. I'm not picking on any particular rabbi here. Couldn't, couldn't disagree more. Really? Because, yeah. pro- I mean, like, Protestants live for the sermon, and they actually, there's a whole theology about, like, the the sort of, in real Reformation traditions, like, they will fight about how much do you exalt the preached word? How important is it that the sermon have central place? And the Lutherans will disagree with the Presbyterians. I see, I see your Lutherans, yeah. and I raise you the prophet. Yeah. Okay, but, like, Micah and, and Amos are not stalking the earth right now and you know it's, but the spirit is here and and when you see a really great honest spiritual sermon that combines you know torah with prophecy with with a real call to open your heart man the the earth shatters like it's great it's that's interesting great. yeah i would love for listeners to write in and tell us about great jewish preachers yeah because to me i think we're like the people of the book or the people of the written word right. we're not necessarily like spoken word that to me has never been something like i mean i when you grow up in like a big temp- temple as i did um in a suburb you sort of get these like boilerplate sermons and i feel like i'm oh i'm always just like oh well, it's again. also like the great the 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 guy who's first in his class at yeshiva is not necessarily a good he gets a great pulpit he has a great career he's not necessarily a great speaker and whereas in if you're coming out of protestant seminary and you want a big career you better be able to deliver on, you know, from the pulpit. Yeah, but if you're a Hasidic master, you know, and you live through the stories and the tales, there's a really but rich even, tradition. But there. even that is much more, don't you think of it as like him sitting around with like 12 of his Talmudim telling stories rather than like on the stage with orating. a thousand people orating. I mean, the other thing is what makes a good rabbi, right? Like I think there are a lot of things that rabbis do that make them really just important pillars of the community that have nothing to do with sermons, right? right? They're they're the work they do like on the ground in the community. So it's so funny then to then be like, and now also get up here and deliver like 15 to 30 minutes of just like, you know, jaw dropping spiritual I think the greatest, enlightenment. I think the greatest Jewish preacher ever is Jackie Mason. 
Why didn't anyone ever give Jackie give him a Mason a Just shul. give him a shul and be that, like, you should be the senior it, it rabbi of Temple work. Sinai. Look, if you have some shul anywhere in the States, that's that's failing. <laughs> that you want to bring back to life. He's what, 86 now? <laughs> We're gonna I, have to I was like, you know, Mark, I would actually listen to you give a sermon. Yeah, I feel totally. like you, yeah. It's like a lecture, right? Yeah. It has to, it's like a bad professor, you know, like... Mark, who's not good at speaking? Mark it's like be, a bad professor. No, no, no. It, I'm thinking a bad rabbi no, is like a professor. Yeah, oh. like it's like you're a good professor because you're really smart. But are you? Mark engaging? would be the rabbi everyone loves, and I would be the rabbi everyone. You're like fears. bad rabbi. Yeah, he's good rabbi. If the three of us opened a shul, I feel like we'd start with a few hundred solid memberships. Yeah. Let's take this. Let's take this let's, on the road. Think, guys, guys, to be honest, I, all right, we're out, guys. Podcast <laughs> over. It's been a good two yeah. years. Goodbye. Come <laughs> see us at Congregation. What is it called? Beth Butnick. This is Kehillah's Beth Butnick. Not to be confused with Ben Butnick. <laughs> ben Butnick. Bass Butnick. It's old school. It's Bass Butnick. Um, I actually was looking at the liturgy, and one of the poems, one of the the piyut, uh, has a a word for God I'd never seen before, which means like it was. They translate it as like God of Mercy. It was Rachaman. Mm-hmm. It's like oh, so. Yeah, so it's like Rahman is his compassion, is? mercy, but the, they had a word for God, which is yeah, well, yeah. Um, and and then it occurred to me it's in lots of other prayers. But I thought, why is there no Beit Rahman? Wouldn't that be a great? What's the fun in that house of the God of Mercy? Who, who, like, who wants to come to the house of the God of Mercy? Yeah. You want to come to the house of the God of like the vengeance? God. <laughs> that's that's the God you want to come in. All right, but 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 important stuff. Let, can we switch to some important stuff now? To other Jews, you mean? Yeah, to Apart other from Jews. Ourselves. The national. I always bas- hate that part. It's so hard to remember that there are indeed other Jews. What? A part of the people in this room. <laughs> uh, Not many, but you know some. But there's one. There's one. Omri Caspi of the Golden State Warriors, the first Israeli to play in the National Basketball Association, skipped a preseason game yes, because of Yom Kippur. So this is actually his first game with Golden State. Mm-hmm. He just got traded to them. So That's this is right. the first game of the se- of the preseason, but the first game with them. Given that it is Golden State, which is a good team, uh, would he sit out a final if it fell on uh, uh, Shavuos? <laughs> you know, if I was a professional basketball player, I would take every freaking opportunity. To be like, hey, coach, excuse me. So it's uh, it's Tanis Esther today. I'm, I'm not... I don't think I could do this. I would basically be on the bench like three quarters of the time. It's a made up Jewish holiday. The problem is like we want to see athletes tested in some weird way that almost doesn't matter anymore. I feel like we're like, well, would he sit out on this? Well, I just I no, I mean, yeah, I mean, okay, fair enough. You know who was tested in a real way? Israeli tennis player and, you know, unimprovably named athlete (laughs) duty. Sela. I, I love, there's, there's a whole category. I think we talked about this before. A whole the category Israeli names. Of Israeli names. What is Doodoo, that? Dudu, Dudi, Nimrod, Moron. Like, it's the, Yo-Yo. The, the best names in the world. It occurred to me just the other day. Aren't there people, Gwyneth-inspired people, who use the word Yoni for their vagina? Yes. Oh, that's an ancient. And this yeah. is a Jewish name. Like, I be, I was talking to a guy the other day, yeah. Yoni. And I, oh, I had oh, a moment hey, where hey, I, thought, I thought. You were like, did you get that jade egg? How are you? How right. you doing? For you, Yoni? For you, Yoni? Um, so, okay. so, sorry, what did Duty do? Duty. Uh, Duty walked out in the middle of a pretty important, you know, match. Uh, even though th- there was there was some money uh, riding on it, and even though you know every match that you win or lose impacts your overall ranking, that yep. you know actually matters. Duty was like, you know, this is this is going too long. I I uh, need to be in Colnidre. I'm out. So it was the Friday and, of yeah, man. He just just bolted. 
Yeah. Which is awesome. Go duty. Go, go duty. Go, go I mean, duty. And he had actually asked for it to be like moved earlier in the day, right? Mm. And they were just like, nope, sorry. Yeah. yeah. He, duty, number two in our in our hearts, you're always number one. That was a horrible pun. Guys, I apologize wow. for it profusely. Uh, other Yom Kippur, other people making news on the high holidays. Um, Bernie Sanders and author Michael Shabon both gave big talks on high holy days this year. As if to say, you know who's not observing Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur? Uh Bernie Sanders and Michael Shabon. Or were they giving their own type of sermon? Well, oh, that's a very generous interpretation. Thank right. you. Stephanie I'm feeling Butnick. generous, 5778. Um, so Bernie Sanders gave a talk. See, Bernie, it was probably believe, about universal health care. Yeah, Bernie, I believe, actually, because he has a tradition. I forget if it's Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah. Like, he always does that. Like, he makes a point of actually speaking on the day. I actually kind of believe You think he makes a point of doing it? You I think, think it's it, his, like, pulpit thing. But, like, Michael Shabon, I mean, if you kind of make a public career lecturing other Jews about how to be a moral Jew and not support the Israeli occupation. And then you make a point, another point of scheduling a book signing and selling for Erev Yom Kippur. Dude, I mean, come on. Now. So during Kol Nidre, cool. he was, he oh, was, yeah. he was selling books. He was hawking his books. Yep. Yeah. It was, it was making the shekels. I do kind of feel like, I wish he said, I'm staying home that night to have a bacon cheeseburger and watch TV. That's right. you know, and, and just freaking stay home, Netflix and chill on Erev Yom Kippur. You know, it's not hard. Live show is coming up October 18th. I will be giving a public lecture at West Virginia University. I know you're all dying for October 18th to come so I can stop pimping my lecture. And October 25th, we're back at the JCC Manhattan. Tickets are on sale now at jccmanhattan.org. We've booked our Gentile that week, mm -hmm. uh, Kobe Labee, mm -hmm. who plays Rabbi Duvid on Transparent. And That's he's going to be amazing. So excited. And we are zeroing in on a very choice Jotwa Jew of the Week for that episode. Jared Kushner. Will be Jew of the Week? Yep. Yeah. Right. Why not? Why not? Why not? Um, some newsletter subscribers. Uh, big law firm. Oh, my God. Many people made partner this week. It's the law firm now of Ann Windmiller, Spuntoff Bossold, Elisa Strunen, David Subar, Julia Rodriguez, Julie Enzer, Rebecca Cinnamon Murphy, Sandy and Duke. Sandy and Duke. Roseanne Mueller. And I want to know, Roseanne, are we related? Because your last name is Mueller, and my grandmother was Rebecca Mueller and of the Philadelphia Bernhardt and Bertha Mueller's. So I don't know. Of my the investigation Mueller's. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get that. But. Mueller. FBI. Mueller. Oh, oh, Mueller. FBI. Mueller. <laughs> I forgot FBI guy. Mike, oh, but he's, a, FBI but he's, a, he's of the Gentile Mueller. It's only like the 17th right. most important news story of today. Michael Zimmerman, Dave Shapiro, Alicia Poland, Neil Kraft, Jonathan Karsh, Sarah Fredman, Ader at long last. She's been writing his letters for a couple years now. She's great. Yeah. Uh, Dina Mostavoy, Ariel Leah, Baron Robbins, and Ayelet Shapiro. Now look. Liel, do you know anything about Ann Windmiller Spunthof Basalt? Well, a Spunthof Basalt is the traditional Austrian pastry. That has 18 <laughs> layers, 18 for chai, of course. Of course. Uh, it's a form of very Jewish kremschnitz. So I take it that she's of the family that, that invented, invented it. the Spuntoff yeah. Bossel. The Spuntoff Bossel. Now, the question would be why her. It's either this or, or, or a gourmet dog. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a shih tzu? No, it's a Spuntoff Bossel. Can't you tell? <laughs> <laughs> the, the the only question I mean it's definitely one of those two the only question left is why did her parents give her the, the middle <laughs> that, name <unfortunate>. Windmill <laughs> that's right well it's because they were of the Dutch Spuntoff Bossel no that's because the, she was conceived on a miniature golf course <laughs> 
the newsletter is not the regular tablet newsletter. These it fine people found out about that. This newsletter is a, a special elite. Nothing, nothing regular about it. It's an elite newsletter. It's sort of the it's the the the, the cohane of newsletters. It's written by the Leo- newsletter justice system. Unorthodox <laughs> 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 based missives yeah. are part of a special unit. No uh, it's written by Leo Leibowitz with a little input from the rest of us. To get this newsletter, sign up on our website, tabletmag.com, or send an email asking for it to unorthodox at tabletmag.com, and put newsletter in the uh, in the subject line. And be forewarned, we may make fun of your name, especially if it's half as good as Anne Windmill Spuntoff Basalt. <laughs> We're going to take a short break for me to give a special shout out to my two nephews and my niece who I think are carpooling with my brother Dan right now. This is for Jolie and Asa and Gideon. If you're in the car with your dad right now, he wants me to ask you to kick his seat as hard as you can and shout out, why is Uncle Mark so much better than you? And, uh, and, and God will give you a better and more blessed year if you do that. Okay. Uh, Asa, Gideon, and Jolie, I love you guys very much. We all do. So our Jew of the Week is as Jew as they come. A big Jew. The president and the dean of Mahon Hadar, which I have to say is really an amazing wonder. It's like one of these rare places that takes both, you know, the life of the mind and the life of the spirit seriously. Uh, and one of my favorite writers on all things Jewish, Rabbi Shai Held. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Can we just I have five sh- seconds on Mahon Hadar is a... a- Adult continuing ed yeshiva. A center for advanced Jewish learning. A center for advanced, a C-A-J-L as they say. As they say. As they say. Indeed. Yeah. It has a yeshiva and also a lot of continuing education opportunities for lay people and professionals. We do not. Uh-oh. You won't rabbi me right now? Depends how nice you are in the okay. next 10 minutes. <laughs> and also we should say the author of. Of. Yeah, the author of The Heart of Torah, Essays on the Weekly Torah Portion, which is just out in two volumes from Jewish Publication Society. And uh, which is really the two volumes, by the way. Yeah. yeah. It's like, Although it caused a debate among my colleagues at work whether I'm now the author of two books or three. <laughs> Does this count as one book or two? No, that is that is that is absolutely two books. But here's the thing: you could buy five books of Torah, or you could buy two, two books, books of commentary. Of commentary on the Torah. <laughs> so just from an economic perspective, this is deal. much better. So l- let me lead. And up. strangely, by the way, on Amazon, the Torah only has four and a half stars. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> By the way, who gave? Yeah, are there I, people who gave like one star to the Torah? <laughs> I think it was Richard Dawkins yeah, right. trolling. Be like, I don't know Too that long. this is a good book. TLDR. Here's here's my number one question, and and this is kind of something that baffled me as I tried myself to wrestle with kind of the weekly parsha. So you've you've been a rabbi for how many years? Eighteen. And you've been a Jew for how many years now? 46, that's to the best a, of my knowledge. That's a lot of years of, of thinking and reading about the Parsha. Does there come a time in which you say, you know what, I have absolutely nothing to say about Leviticus chapter four. Like, I'm done. I, there is no more insight. I, I'm, not, I'm not interested. This story has outrun its usefulness. Because right, to be clear, for those who don't know, the Jews divide the whole five books of Moses into weekly readings, and we go through them all every year. So you Again and again and again and again. 18 times you might have preached on the same section of Leviticus. Like, yeah. That's why I say as a rabbi, you should change jobs every five years. That's right. <laughs> no, but um, look, I am sure that I could not write essays of this kind of depth and research for 50 years ongoing. I think it would actually be just too hard. But I will say, at the risk of sounding 
extremely pious that I was blown away in the process of writing these essays about how much I learned. I actually came away feeling I had never read the Bible before until I started doing this. Really? Like, give us an example of one thing that sort of like all of a sudden grabbed you like, oh, wow, I, I never thought. Well, I'll tell you one, I'll give you one example that I learned from actually reading about the ancient Near East, which I never really thought about before. And I think most Jews who encounter the Bible and even care about it don't know. So I learned that in the ancient Near East, all over the ancient Near East, the king of a civilization is referred to as the image of God. Mm -hmm. And this means that he is destined to rule over everybody else. Mm -hmm. And that when Genesis 1 announces no, it is not the king who was created in the image of God. It is each and every human being on the face of the earth, male and female. That is a dramatic repudiation and subversion of everything about the culture that it finds itself in. It is a claim that we are all kings and queens, which is to say none of us is intended to rule over anybody else. So Genesis is the hashtag resistance, the original hashtag resistance. I would say democratization of value, kind of egalitarian impulse, something like that. Hashtag resistance is fine if you must. Um, and here's where it goes even farther, which is kind of amazing, right? In the ancient Near East, the king is described as responsible for the fate of widows and orphans. You get to the book of Exodus and you discover that the mandate to care for the widows and orphans is in the plural. It's addressed to the whole people because with the democratization of value in the image of God, you have the democratization of moral responsibility. Right. Each and every one of us is responsible for the fate of the vulnerable. Honestly, that kind of takes my breath away. That's one small example of kind of discovering the Bible for the first time, which for me was really a revelation. We're, we're, no pun intended. Uh, that's the next two two volumes. Yeah. Um, were there any sections that you were just like, I hate writing about this. This one is the worst. I was extremely daunted by the prospect of writing on Leviticus, which honestly, most rabbis I know dread the rolling <laughs> around of Leviticus each year. Um, it forced me to try and understand stuff that seemed enormously obscure to me, the biblical system of sacrifice, etc. Um, I, you know, in my optimistic mode, I actually felt like Leviticus is where I learned the most. Most of what I said about Leviticus, I had no idea about before I started researching. So it's, you know, there were certain, there were certain um, portions that I had a long list of, here are things I could write about. And then I got to working on Leviticus and the notebook was pretty much empty when I started. <laughs> but that was actually very powerful. What What do you say, you know, to someone who who sort of like opens this this book in passing and finds something about, oh, these are the garments that the Kohen should wear. These are the how many cubits the Mikdash and like says, you know, this is this is not really relevant for today. Well, I, you know, I think I would respond differently to different kinds of skepticism. But one thing that I would suggest to that person is to think about what the role, just to take your example, of special garments or special places in human life is, right? Any anthropologist will tell you that for any culture to function and make meaning, there are people who wear different things. There are places that are demarcated in special ways. And we all have that. So I, I give you an example. The book of Leviticus is obsessed with order. Now, some of the ways that it's obsessed with order might strike modern readers at first glance as actually quite bizarre. 
And yet the idea that there should be some place in the world that is not overrun by chaos, Mm -hmm. where things unfold as they are expected to, and where things unfold as God wants them to, is actually enormously resonant. The way that I personally came to relate to those chapters, which may sound surprising at first, is by thinking about the anxiety that I feel when I send my kids out to the world in the morning. And knowing, God forbid, that their bus could crash. Knowing, God forbid, that something could go wrong at school and they could get hurt. The notion that there should be some island in the world of chaos that is a place of safety and, and, and sort of deep, profound okayness, to coin the term, um, that's what the Mishkan, the tabernacle, is. And when I started thinking about Leviticus that way, I actually found it emotionally quite moving. Even if there were verses, I found it very difficult to understand. The thrust and the longing that is expressed there, I actually think is very powerful and frankly pretty universal. I completely agree with you, by the way. I think it's like the world's greatest video game, right? It's an attempt to create this like rule-based structure that's just like a perfectly contained universe in which you could always just like go and repeat. That until, metaphor tells us nothing about you, by the way. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. So we're like in the crux of like, we're in the high holidays, we're in fall. We're, what, what, what do you want us to take? Like, what do you want people to take away from this season? Well, I'll tell you one thing about this season that I've learned that I personally have found helpful and that I write about in a couple of these essays. When I was younger, I was very drawn to almost, I would say, what I would now describe as Pollyannish notions of change. When Rabbi Soloveitchik talks about how I can create a new I, I can sever my identity with the, the person I used to be. The Bible, I think, has a much more sober view of what human change looks like. The example of this that I most often give is the book of Numbers, a book where also many people listening to the Torah each year kind of begin to fall asleep. The book of Numbers begins, the first 10 chapters are about a world that is being set up so everything will go perfectly. All their emotional needs, religious needs, physical needs of the people are taken care of. The moment they begin the journey towards the promised land that they have prepared for, everything falls apart, 15 chapters of utter hell. Mm -hmm. And then, by the way, because Numbers is such a Jewish book, right, the last few chapters, beginning with chapter 26 of Numbers, a new generation emerges and everything goes right again. But let's just think about this for a minute, right? God liberates the people from Egypt and then the entire generation dies because there's a total failure to expunge Egypt from the heart and soul of the people. What that basically suggested to me was that at the end of the day, you can't talk about repentance or tshuva as self-creation so much as about working on yourself, right? Smaller scale, sober, the realization that I can't make myself a totally new human being, but I can improve myself. And I actually find that that's not defeatist, quite the opposite. It's actually what makes it possible to take this work seriously. If I get up in a room full of people and say, your job in the 40 days um, around Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is to invent yourself anew, most people will give up in 12 minutes because it's just not realistic, right? But if we talk about working on yourself, learning to be a little bit kinder, learning to speak a little bit more gently, etc., I actually think that's actually very powerful. So I think sobriety opens up real possibility in a way that sort of Pollyannishness maybe doesn't. So big picture, I always wonder, I've talked to two kinds of rabbis. Uh, w- about the question of Jewish continuity. Ones you like and ones you ones don't. Ones I like and ones right. The world is divided into two kinds of people. And 
I know rabbis who are obsessed with Jewish continuity. They're obsessed with intermarriage. They're obsessed with birth rate. They're obsessed with how many people with numbers. How many people are we drawing into shul this year versus last? With year. the other book of numbers. And the other book of numbers, and 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 understandably so, right? These are metrics by which they feel like their work has meaning or not. And then I've talked to rabbis, and 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 this kind of blows my mind. And. I don't actually understand it, but I've talked to rabbis who are completely serene about that, who say, look, this is, this is a, if this system has any meaning, if there's really something to this, it will survive and it will thrive and, and God, Hashem, will make sure that it does. And to look at census numbers or Pew survey results or whatever is, is almost idolatry because this is Judaism and we're not about numbers. Um, but I always feel like if I were um, responsible for a kind of if, if my professional work, which actually in some sense it is, was about like creating a community that that was larger rather than smaller, um, that I would that I would live in fear. And I guess I'm but then again, how would I get up in the morning if I lived in that kind of fear? So how yeah. do you process that as a rabbi? Do you and you're you come out of the conservative movement sort of. Yes. And, sort of, and right. the conservative movement is the one that's like shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And shrink. I mean, how do you achieve serenity now? <laughs> right, exactly. Well, why don't you breathe with me for a few minutes? Okay. <laughs> no, so look, I, I'm glad that the community has demographers. I think their work is important, but I'm also not one. And in part, that's because I don't think the answer to demographic problems is demographic. The answer to demographic problems is substance. So my response to questions of assimilation and intermarriage is Torah. Um, it is about, you know, you make Judaism a compelling story, a compelling narrative, a compelling set of experiences. Everything else is just talk. The moment you're arguing with someone about intermarriage, you're 16 conversations too late, right? So I, I don't see that as, as my work in the world. But I do think that the American Jewish community faces some very serious dilemmas. And I would say it like this to sort of try to encapsulate a huge discussion into a couple sentences, right? On the one hand, the very heart of Judaism, you could say, is about ethical responsibility, right? No ethics basically bankrupt Judaism. On the other hand, a Judaism that is only about ethics is totally self-liquidating. Because at the end of the day, if all you want people to become is ethical, so at a certain point you'll cut out the middleman, right? So the challenge of the American Jewish community is how not to lose the centrality of ethics, but how also to cultivate ways of being Jewish that are distinctive about eating, about praying, about marking time. That's what the liberal Jewish denominations, I think, have been traditionally less than successful at. So again, I don't want to do away with the focus on ethics. I think it's crucial. But I'm very nervous about the almost exclusive focus on ethics, which at the end of the day is not a prescription for the distinct kind of tradition of the Jewish people to endure. Are you hopeful at all, uh, though, that people will, will, will come to see it this way? Because it, I, I don't see any real, you know, surge in, in, in people not only embracing, but even seriously grappling with, with you know, with halacha, with, with, with Jewish ritual, with Jewish life. It seems to be all abstractions and all kind of like a thrust towards, a, you know, tikkun olam and ephemeral justice. I think we have a tremendous amount of work to do on restoring a really deep sense of substance and learning in the, in, in the Jewish community. I, I would say I would see small pockets of bubbling up of real life. Do I see a mass return at this moment? No. But I, I do believe, you know, whatever the evidence points, we are not permitted to give up, but have to keep working at it. People like me and many colleagues, people I admire, have to keep teaching the things they teach and have to do it without apology and with great force and hopefully eloquence. As we say in Yiddish, 
Alhamdulillah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Rabbi Shaiheld, you've been an above average Jew of the week, we're pleased to report. Um, <laughs> we've, had, we've had practice. Yeah. We've, and had, we've had practice. We've had practice. And uh, your two volume study, of which people are free to buy only one volume if they want to sample, if they want an amuse yes, But they're also free to buy, for example, two copies of That's each right. volume. That's right. They are. Is The Heart of Torah, Essays are the Weekly Torah Portion. Thank you so much for being our Jew of the Week. Will you come back sometime? Thank you. I would love to. I don't awesome. think you will now. <laughs> You make me shy, shy, shy You make me burn high, high, high Feel like I get lost in time Whenever you need me Do you make me shy, shy, shy Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamu, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. A very, very uh, overflowing, overstuffed mailbox this week. This is this is really good stuff. This is, I mean, this is why we do, can we agree we do the show for the letters? This is why we do it. <laughs> yeah. Stephanie, do you know what song he was vamping on, oh, goofing on, on there? This is how we do it. By? Montel Jordan. Very good. I was singing it last night. But you were like six when it came out. It was on like the original, now that's what I call music. That's right. <laughs> All right. Dear Stephanie, Mark, and Liel, I have a question for you. Can you please ask your grammar experts whether Lushanatova is an acceptable greeting? I keep I keep hearing people claim that Lushanatova is wrong and that Shanatova or Shanatova is, is the proper way to say it. Is this a Yiddish versus Hebrew thing? Is it a matter of grammar? If you can toast Lachayim, why doesn't Lushanatova work too? Totally works. Thank you for all you do and proper Rosh Hashanah wishes to you. Lisa C.K., Lisa, Lisa C.K., first of all, we, we love your husband, Louis. Yeah. Louis. Good, Louis luck, with, good luck with that. We hope uh, that all and, sorts itself out. And second of all, uh, you could totally say it. It's the difference between good year and here's to a good here's year. Here's to a good year, right? Yeah. And the good year. And but the good year. I think our producer, Alyssa Goldstein, didn't she point out in a group email that in Australia, it's a Shana Tova, and here they like they love it a lot, yeah. and that was weird they for her. They love it up. Love and order. Yeah. My guess is it is a like look at how Hebrew we are. We will throw in a third Hebrew half syllable. But isn't it like Lashonato? Like isn't that part of the song? Well, it's part of a song. I think it's, a, it's also like the difference between to to get us more up to date with our Tishrei holidays. It's the difference between Gmar Chatimatavain and Gmar Tov. Oh yeah, like, I hear Gmar Tov they're both, a lot. They're both you know legit. They're they're both different right. manifestation of the same idea. Right. I have to right. say they're I started cool. using this Good year seal. GCT. GCT. <laughs> And like I've said it to several colleagues and like everyone seemed to know what it was. Grand Central Term. No, Gamarcha <laughs> Tumatova. And it means it's may like, you be sealed in the for a good year. Right. May you be seal? sealed in the book of life. Gamarcha. Yeah, in the book of life. Okay, got it. Got it. Uh, from another longtime listener, maybe our favorite listener. I mean, there's competition for this, but it's from high school Jewish Jay Falk. Hi, Unorthodox. I have another Jewish dilemma. We solved a Jewish dilemma for her last year. 
She writes, I've been extremely involved in politics since my freshman year. Who am I? And recently, the Young Democrats chapter in my area came back from the dead. This past week, I found myself a little annoyed because the Young Democrats at my school scheduled their first meeting unknowingly on Rosh Hashanah. And Young Democrats in my city scheduled a meeting knowingly on Yom Kippur. Needless to say, I won't be attending either meeting. Okay, so we're a little late in helping you with this, Jay, but... Bear with us. So what do you think? Is my mild annoyance unfair? On the one hand, Jews are 2% of the population and probably the same percentage of this club. I shouldn't expect them to cater to me. On the other hand, these are major Jewish holidays available on many calendars, and it would have been easy to schedule a different day. My mom strongly thinks the former, my friends the latter. What do y'all think? Best, Jay Falk. We think anti-Semitism, of course. <laughs> I mean, we go there immediately. Immediately. Directly. Holocaust. Yeah. I think if you're a part of a local group... And there are, say, like Muslims in your group. I think it behooves you to just look up. Like, I, I don't know. I think if you know, it just seems like there's a general sensitivity that we have to just it's look not, things up. Everything's what? available on Google. It's not even like religious sensitivity. It's just like good planning. Yeah. You also might want to consider if you're the young Democrats that the two or three Jews you have in your club may be candidates for positions of leadership. Jews have been known to rise up in liberal politics. And maybe you want, maybe you want them there. And if not, there will be your donors one day. Th that's right. How about this letter? Dear Unorthodox. Now, this was a longer letter that I edited down to its essence, but this woman really cares about this question. She writes, how ironic that on the same podcast where you chatted with Sarah Boonham Benor about how to talk from, Mark used the pronunciation mishmash rather than mishmash. No Jew pronounces this mishmash. I think she's absolutely right. I've never heard mishmash in my life. Is, is it like a Hebrew word? Can I just mishmash? tell you? I've never heard mishmash. I, I, I've always heard. I mean, I don't know that I've ever actually heard this word now that I'm thinking about it, but mishmash, a mishmash, mishmash, by which, mish thank you. by which, of course, you mean a mishmash. Yeah. I, is, it, is it? Stephanie, you grew up in Great Neck. If Jews were saying mishmash, I would have known about it. You would have it. known about it. Stephanie I was wins. undercover. There we go. Fake news. <laughs> a mishmash. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get so much mail on this. Listeners, have you heard of mish? It maybe I want to know, is it so write and tell us also your age and where you're from? Because it's I just, wonder. I mean, just, just listen to these two words, right? What does mishmash suggest? It's sort of like, oh, it's a mishmash of things. Now listen to mishmash. What does right, that suggest? That's like a Yiddish, it's, like, it's, it's, angrier. A whole, it's a whole balagan. What does it mean? It's, it's idea. Whole, Isn't it just like a mishmash? Isn't mish it just mash. like things mashed together? It's a mixed up thing, which, which makes mash perfect, right? Another letter. A couple, I'm going to end on a couple really moving letters. Dear Unorthodox, let me say I'm a huge fan. Your witty banter is my longtime Thursday companion. This week was a bit different from most, though. Having just finished grad school, I decided to treat myself to a Euro trip. Since an old friend of mine lives in Germany, it was an obvious stop. As you might imagine, I've found Deutschland to be rather depressing, particularly Berlin with its omnipresent undercurrent of mass murder. Today, I visited the Memorial to the Murdered Jews of Europe. And after visiting the museum, I was road trip <laughs> and pardon. And after visiting the museum, I was tearfully wandering amongst the pillars, feeling decidedly wretched. Luckily, in a moment of divine clarity, I booted up unorthodox. Since I'm traveling solo, I thought it might be comforting to fill my head with Jewish voices. And it was until Liel's chicken story. For some reason, I found the Brackle revelation and subsequent dialogue to be uproariously hilarious and quite inappropriately, I burst out laughing in the middle of the memorial. Long story short, I picked a spot on one of the pillars and finished the, <laughs> and finished the episode. I honestly can't imagine a more fitting antidote to Holocaust gloom than this podcast. After a day fraught with victimization, what perfect proof of Jewish defiance and endurance. Yours truly, Rebecca Sertner. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. They should give out, you know, they have the audio tours. That right. they, should, they should give out like iPod, iPhones filled with unorthodox. The audio tour in Auschwitz should only be old unorthodox oh. episodes. 
It should be Nabel's Holocaust contested beauty beauty contested cutie we pie. We actually should do the walking tour, like where we will be like, and now at this at this pillar, <laughs> rest. You seem like you've been walking around all day. Uh, I'll just add that CJ Alejandro and Michael Faccini both wrote in to congratulate Liel on his attempts to keep kosher. Hell yeah. The Jews were the cool names. Yeah. <laughs> no where it's and at. And the cool food. Alejandro and Facciapucci both hey. wrote in to say Liel. <laughs> oh. oh. Mazel tovs this week. Liel, what you got? I would like to extend a very hearty and very earnest uh, mazel tov to our Catalan brothers and sisters on fighting for their independence, as every good self-respecting Zionist knows, the desire to reinstate your ancient uh, nation in your ancient homeland is sacred. Fight on, brothers and sisters. To the Kurds and the Catalans, baby. To the Kurds and the Catalans. Stephanie Butnick-Cohen. <laughs> I got I have a mazel tov for two first-time Yom Kippur fasters. Ezra in fourth grade and Jojo in sixth grade. They Aww. made it through the whole fast. Yay! Yay! That's amazing. Like I and apparently I heard Ezra did not complain at all. And I was Ezra like, I and Jojo all day. as 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 practically rabbis, we decree <laughs> that both of you get ice cream this Yay! weekend. For breakfast. Yes, for bra- ice cream for breakfast. Um we are delighted to welcome as a contributing producer Julia Frakes, who has been on the show before. Hi Thanks. Julia. Aloha. Uh would you like to offer a mazel tov? Yeah. Okay, well what you got? <sighs> All right, I got to say, major mazel tovs to Dame Helen Mirren and Jane Fonda, who just walked in Paris Fashion Week. Uh, they are 72 and 79, respectively, at the Arc de Triomphe, and it was just spectacular in every way. Can I share something? Yeah. This is the right moment for you. Is it your crush you, on Helen Mirren? You know those like l- like lists that couples have, like the celebrities who you, are you allowed you could to have step sex out with? Is it Helen yeah. Mirren oh, and yeah. Jane Fonda? No, it's <laughs> just Helen Mirren. Is just Helen Mirren. Yep. She, I mean, she is not ashamed to admit it. Goddess. I feel yep. we've talked before about how Leo yeah. wants to go old and I, I want to go young. <laughs> I would. I love Dame Helen. Oh no, I'm she, married. Oh, I she get to went, one of those lists. Did you see? She had like a cane and just oh god sauntered down like oh, it yeah. was nobody's business, and it was just it really was the highlight of the whole entire fashion to month. Dame, in my book. To Dame Helen Mirren and. Da- and a and a great dame, Jane Fonda. Stephanie, who is on your list now that you're well, married? Well, now I have to think about it. I get a list. All right. Well, you <laughs> now you get it. a list. Well, I mean, I, just... I have a list and I'm not even married, so. <laughs> Mine's just going to be like nerdy Jewish actors. And it's going to be. Jesse Eisenberg. It, it's... <laughs> uh, my Drake? Tov's. I think right, Drake's right. on both. Okay, whatever. Down okay. kids. Well, down kids. <laughs> uh, first, I want to give a shout out to our listener, Joni Hirsch Blackman, who is trying to figure out if her kids listen. So this is her This is her kids' test. Kids, if you're listening- Call, call your mother. Call your mother. What's wrong with you? <laughs> um, she carried you for uh, nine months. That's right. Uh, a shout out to Aaron Kennett, listening in Sumi, Ukraine, repping the chosen people in Ukraine. Keep- Keep the keep the dream alive in Ukraine, Aaron. Um, and a mazel tov to my friend Rachel Axler, who got married two weeks ago. I don't think she listens, but she's a writer for Veep, so she's collecting Emmys like it's like they're going out of style. Look at that. And so she won her eighty seven. She used to write for the Daily Show, where she got her first Emmy, and she got her eighty seventh. And then, like a few days later, after Veep cleaned up, she got married. So mazel You're welcome tov. to any joke bling, you bling. want. That's right. So she's uh, she's the bomb. And uh, Sid went to the wedding. I was home with the four kids, so that was. Uh, Sid went out. I don't know what she did. We got the three thousand mile rule in effect when Sid goes to a wedding in L.A. So can we give a know. little prayer out too for Julia Louis Dreyfus because oh, oh my, yeah. yeah, she's yeah. just my hero since forever. Amazing, and Julia Louis Dreyfus. For people who don't know, just announced that she uh, has breast cancer. Yeah, and and she's a Jewess. That's irrelevant to whether we wish her well, but you know, 
Also, her son, Henry Hall, you should all go buy his album because it's awesome. And it's on iTunes and Spotify. Oh, Brad Hall. That's some some deep SNL knowledge from people of my generation. Um, and, of course, another Mazel Tov for probably the last time to um, the Butnick Cohens. Oh, thank for, you. you know, it's, okay, it's thank you. In person, I just want to say what a, what a wedding. Um, listen, guys, please subscribe to Unorthodox. Uh, Facebook us, rate us on iTunes. That really does matter. And it, it helps get the show in front of other people. Um, a little scheduling reminder. Um, we do not have another episode until October 19th. Uh, that's because of Simchat Torah coming up. And then we don't have another show again until October 30th. That will be the recording of our live show on October 25th. Which, which you should all buy which tickets you should to right yeah. now. Go to. We've got to sell that baby out. Then in November, we get really, really regular again. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. Write to us. Please write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Follow Stephanie on Instagram at Sputnik. We are on Facebook a lot, so follow Tablet. Our executive producer is Alyssa Goldstein, and we're also produced by Shira Talushkin, this week with assistance from Julia Frakes. Our artwork is by Esther Werdiger. Our show is edited by Noah Levinson. Our music is by Golem. Rabbinic supervision by, of course, Rabbi Shai Held. Uh, kosher slaughtering this week by Tom Price, who does the slaughtering on a chartered jet. We recorded Argo Studios, which this moment is negotiating with North Korea and being undermined by Donald Trump. Uh, but we, we have faith that working with Rex Tillerson, they're going to make it happen. And we're proud to be part of the Panoply Network. Shalom, friends.